This episode of the Adoption Connection podcast is sponsored by our free three-day live compassion challenge. This is for the discouraged adoptive mom. In three days, understand why your child pushes you away, why you are not a bad mom because you're losing your patience, and shed the feelings of shame and guilt. There's hope and you can regain that compassion again. And if you need more encouragement, listen to these words in a mom's voice from our last Compassion Challenge. Hi, this is Kelly Deering calling about the Compassion Challenge and what it meant to me or it impacted me. The the biggest part that really spoke to me was learning about blocked care. And you're probably hearing that over and over, but wow, just naming it was helpful for me. And then also the reminder about grief and its stages, so helpful to know just that what I'm going through is real. It's not just in my head or my emotions. So that was really helpful. And truly, to hear every day that I'm a good mom and doing good work, that alone is just so, so good to hear. Thanks for all you do. Hi, my name is Carrie Mingay, and I was calling to leave a brief message about how the Compassion Challenge affected me. We are at the beginning of our adoption journey. We've been fostering for two and a half years, the same little girl, and recently adopted her. Compassion is not an issue yet, but I can totally see how it could become one. One of the things I loved was looking back to one of the first pictures when she was transitioning into our home and seeing how little she and our bios were how interwoven into our lives are she is now. I've already had the moments where I forget um, how she joined our family, just knowing that she is our family. And I think the other thing that helped me as someone who's maybe more towards the beginning of their journey is reading the other people's responses. So those who have been through harder times and are coming out on the other side. I really appreciated it. Um, It's a good reminder of maybe what's to come and to persevere and that there there are good things on the other side. So thank you to you both for all that you pour into this. This is an amazing resource uh, for a family like ours. Our next Compassion Challenge starts on Tuesday, October 15th at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. We'd love to have you join us. You can grab your spot at theadoptionconnection.com slash compassion. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Good morning, Melissa. Welcome to episode 57 of the Adoption Connection podcast. Hey, Lisa, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. So here at the Adoption Connection, we really value the voices of all three parts of the adoption triad. So that would be first moms, adoptees, and adoptive moms. One of the cool things about Lisa and me is that between the two of us, we make up all three parts or we represent all three parts of that triad. So I'm an adoptee and an adoptive mom. And then Lisa, you're a birth mom and an adoptive mom. Some of the most popular podcast episodes that we have done have been where adoptees get to share their experiences and tell their stories. And we have so much that we can learn about them. So Lisa, do you want to introduce our guest for this week? Yes, I'm so excited. I was able to interview Sherry Eldridge. And for well over two decades, Sherry Eldridge has offered her unique voice within the adoption community as an established author and an international speaker. 
An adoptee herself, Sherry has the ability to see life through the eyes of an adopted child. In her eight published titles, she has shared a passion for validating the adoptee's life experiences, as well as her desire to help adoptive and foster parents better understand their adopted children's emotional needs. Her best-selling work, 20 Things Adopted Kids Wish Their Parents Knew, is required reading by many U.S. adoption agencies, as well as for training competent adoption therapists. She recently released a new book for children called Little Branch Gets Adoptive, and it is being very well received and is receiving lots of fantastic reviews. Yeah, I am really excited to read the book, and there are so many nuggets for listeners in this interview. So let's jump to your interview with Sherry. Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, Sherry. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining me. I'm so excited to finally get to have a conversation together. We've spoken on the phone and we've emailed and you've been such a good help and support to me with my book. And, you know, I mean, I'll just say right now, you're a very experienced author and many people will have heard of your first book. Do you want to mention that book and a couple of your other books? Sure. My first book is 20 Things Adopted Kids, Wish Their Adoptive Parents Knew. And that's one of eight books. You can check me out on Google or whatever and find out about the other ones. Well, we will have in the show notes links to all of your books. And, um, but the one that people will be probably most familiar with is the 20 Things Adopted Kids Wish Their Parents Knew. They'll be, people will be able to find that in the show notes. And although I didn't plan to talk about this right now, I do want to talk about your brand new book. So let's, let's hear about that Okay, the brand new book is called Little Branch Gets Adopted, and it's been five years in the making. It is drawn from a story that a clinician in Quebec taught me that she uses with prospective adoptive parents that are kind of in denial, sometimes with the kids. And so I made it into a story and it is just beautifully illustrated. It's the thing that I love about it is that Little Branch talks about big feelings, like being sad and mad and, ouch, this hurts when I get separated from my first family and so on. And I'll show you the cover. It's right here. It's right oh, here. it's beautiful. Yes, I wish adorable. Yes, I wish you all could see it right now. After you listen to the podcast, you'll have to check out the link and take a look. It is very pretty and very colorful. Yes, I, the woman who I dreamed someday would have the, the time to do my book did it. And so she's also from Indianapolis. So it was really fun to work with her, Joni um, Rothenberg. That's wonderful. And what do you, when you think about parents buying this book for their children, what do mm -hmm. you hope will come of their reading it to them or letting the children read it themselves? Well, I think that the children, and even if you read to them, will realize that it's okay to share feelings that are painful because adoption is both painful and pleasurable. So as Little Branch shares his stories like that, the kids will say, oh, I guess it's okay to talk about my first family. I think it will open up the avenues of communication between parents and their children or therapists and children 
whatever, but it's, it's a real adoption story. It deals with all the dynamics so the child can really open up his or her heart to you. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, thank you. So, so now going backward in the yeah. interview, you are an adult adoptee, and one of the things our listeners have told us is that they really love hearing adoption stories, and yours mm-hmm. is unique. So I just want you to take some time and tell us your story. Well, before I was born, my mother was raped, so I was an unplanned baby, an unplanned, unwanted life until my parents found out about me (laughs) and they arranged a private adoption for me. I was adopted at 10 years or 10 days of age. Um, And I was told about my adoption when I was a little girl. I I still remember where we sat on the green couch and they told me about, you know, how I was adopted and how we went to the baby store and they chose me, you know, out of all the babies to be, there's so anyway uh, I grew up as an only child and I always begged them for siblings but they said no because they thought they were too old when they adopted me they might have been in their 40s I can't remember but mom told me what she knew about my birth family but you know what now that I'm near the end of my life I can look back and realize she was told lies you know it was candy coated for her but anyway um When I became a mom, that was the first time I thought about finding my birth family. Uh, When I sat in the gynecologist's office and saw, oh, this happens at three months, and this at five months. And I wondered if my birth mother ever thought about me that way. And that was really kind of the beginning of my search. And that was when I was like 47 years old. No, not even 47. I was probably... 42 at that time. I'm now 74. So that was quite a while ago. (laughs) Anyway, I searched and back then, I mean, searching for a birth mother or a first mother, I understand is the right way to say it now, a first mother um, was just so looked down upon. I mean, in adoptees were that, you know, I just found lots of rejection and shame and closed doors like, oh, is this an adoptee wanting to search? So, you know, times have changed a lot. And I thank the Lord for people like Pam Krosky, who has worked for Indiana, my state of Indiana, to have open birth records. That's happening a lot throughout the country. I found my birth mother about 19 years ago. What started out, what were you going to ask I was going to ask you, okay, so just to give us perspective, what year were you born? I was born in 1945. Okay, and then at what age do you think you started You started thinking about searching when you were maybe 40-ish? I started thinking about it when I was 20. Okay. Or 21 as a young mom expecting our first baby. Okay. It started then, but then there, we went to a convention where Lee, oh, what is her name? Anyway, she found her, her daughter And she had pictures of them up, you know, big pictures. And boy, did that get to me. I thought, oh my gosh, you know, there's somebody out there that looks like me. I'm going to find her. So it kind of progressed, you know, in different stages as I got older. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. And did you express to your parents at any point along the way that you were thinking about this? 
not to my mother. My mother died when I was only 36, mm-hmm. dropped dead of a massive heart attack. To my dad, I did. And I'll never forget the night that he got out the steel box with all the, the records in them. And he showed me the birth certificate. He didn't have the original one, of course, but it showed, it still had the names of my, my mother, the name of my mother. So that, you know, was really got me going. And uh, he was near death at that point. And so, you know, as an adoptee, I was getting to the point in time where, you know, when you lose your parents as an adult, even I believe if you aren't adopted, you kind of feel like an orphan. You know, you feel like, gosh, I'm next and they're gone. And so I was at that transition point, actually, when I found my birth mother. And I hired a woman from Michigan, and she was like a sleuth. And she, you know, found all kinds of things in the library, the health department, the death records. Uh, She was really, really good. And we found her in two days. Wow. That's fast. Yeah. And mom and dad were both gone when I found her. So, you know, I, I remember visiting their grave and just saying, oh, my gosh, I wish... I wish I could tell you what's going on and thank you for loving me when I was so unloving as a child and a teenager. I was really, I was a lot to handle. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just asked, you know, them to forgive me and to kind of came to terms with it that night before I actually talked to my birth mother that evening. Mm. So it was a monumental time. And when I talked to her the first time, she was very um, sweet. She, they told me my voice was just like hers. So, you know, we adoptees are always looking for those similarities. And I asked her if she would tell me who my birth father was. No, she wouldn't tell me that. And then she just totally closed the topic, never did tell me. Mm. Um, we arranged to get together in Idaho, which was where she lived. It started out like a fairy tale reunion, but within a week after I'd been there, I called to thank her after coming home, and she said she wanted no more contact with me. Yeah, that was really, really hard. Did and she yet, Did she say why? No. Hmm. No, she didn't. She just didn't want anything. I mean, when she called me, it was like a different person. And in the midst of that rejection... I knew the Lord was right there with me, comforting me. And he brought to mind the scripture that says, can a mother forget about the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Yes, she may, Sherry, but I will never, ever forget you. See, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands and your walls, your life is always before me. So at that moment that every adoptee dreads, the Lord met me. And instead of ending up in her arms, I ended up at the cross. And it was a, you know, sometimes people feel sorry for me, and that's okay. But you know what? It was really a turning point for me because it was out of that that I began to write my experiences for 20 Things Adopted Kids Wish. Things have a way of working out. And um, so anyway, I thought I would never, ever find my birth father no clues whatsoever. She was stubborn, you know, until the last time I talked to her. Then through Ancestry.com, I found him. 
tell us about that. I'm just fascinated by that. Okay, but let me back up and ask you about your your first mom's family. Yeah. Did you have siblings? Did you get to meet them? I had two siblings. Um, when I got off the banana-shaped airplane that took me into Idaho Mountains, <laughs> uh, my, sister, my sister was there. And when I got off the airplane, she said, Oh my gosh, look at her nose, look at her nose. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> and then, you know, because you don't know what it's going to be like when you get off and you meet this person you're related to, but you don't know, have any relationship with them. Right. You know, it's really awkward. So I met her, but then after Elizabeth, my mother, rejected me, I met my birth brother, John, found him on Facebook ended up not reuniting with him earlier because he was a drug addict and I chose not to. But when I found him, he was coming out of it. Mm. And so I met him. I had a wonderful reunion with him and his son and wife in Reno. And, you know, there I was driving through Reno all by myself, and, you know, in the dark of night trying to find John's trailer. Oh, and, wow. You know, he was there just waiting to hug me. You know, it was just, and I talked to him. He he died unexpectedly, sooner than of alcoholism. And um, but he always called me every day and said, "Sis, I love you with all my heart." Every day I got to hear that from my brother. Wow! Yeah, what a gift! What a gift! And did you stay in touch with your sister, or was she? Did she step back when her mom stepped back? I tried to stay in touch with my sister, but she was kind of bossy and really didn't want a heck of a lot to do with me. Okay. So, no, I mean, and then she dropped over dad. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so you just never know when you're doing reunion and search and everything, who's going to be alive for how long, right? Right, yeah. That's <laughs> oh, yeah. So at this point, you had met your birth mother. You'd met your two siblings from her. Right. But still hadn't found, at that point, you had not found your father's side of the family. No, nothing. And really didn't have a hope that I would. And what led you to do Ancestry.com? I had done 23andMe. My brother John gave me that as a gift. And that didn't really reveal a lot for me. But when I did Ancestry.com, I mean, I had five adoptee friends helping me that were experts I mean, they came up with it. I don't know how you could do it just on your own, but they came up with it. And actually what broke the seal and got us into the information about my father was his military records, very much in detail. And he's gone now. He's deceased. And he was not the kind of person I would want for a father. He was a very broken man. And, you know, six marriages and so on. So anyway, I, I'm so glad I know who I am in Jesus, you know, and that I don't have to rely on a reunion with a birth family member to tell me who I am. Mm-hmm. I know I'm a child of the king. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, from that knowledge, there are six siblings Six siblings. On your father's side, there are six. Yeah. Okay, now, let me ask, did you ever actually meet him? No. Your birth father. Okay. No. Okay. He's gone. 
Okay, now when you say you had help from friends, are you saying you got the 23andMe report and it just sort of, I haven't, or I mean the Ancestry.com report and it just showed that you had random. Yeah, I, I was able, my brother did that for me. I was able to get hospital records because of that mm-hmm. and stuff. I mean, I even had those denied me by the hospital people. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was through Ancestry because it, I think it's much more in detail. Okay. Um, I, from what I understand now, I haven't gone back to the 23andMe, but from what I understand, it's more about finding out health, you know, records and stuff like that. Ancestry is? So the 23andMe. Okay. Okay. But the Ancestry, with these five people helping me who were sleuths, I mean, they knew about all this legal stuff and how to, because you can't, you can't just make up a parent or a person you're trying to find. It has to be legally documented. Okay. And they did all that. And we found, oh my goodness, I don't know how many phone calls I made, but we, we found his medical, his military records. Okay. And did you say he was deceased at that time or he was still alive? He was deceased. This was just a year ago. You're the first one I've got to talk about it. Oh, I feel so honored. Okay, so this was just a year ago. And from that, then you found out he had six other children. Six children. Okay. So there I am with six names. So what do I do? I search Facebook. And that's how I found my other brother, John. I found him on Facebook. So I went to Facebook and I found my brother Jeff. He was the season, pastor of the Season Saints in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And he was just incredibly welcoming to me. I did something really dumb. I gave him, I read him. He wanted to know what was in the military record. And I, I read that to him. And I wish I hadn't have of because it was too painful for him mm-hmm. to hear it. But anyway, I mean, we have become very, very close um, he just turned 70, so he's my little brother, but really he's my big brother in so many ways. He's a very strong believer. Mm-hmm. And then about seven months ago, I got a call from my sister named Candy. She was coming to Indianapolis for a training. Could we meet? And so we did. Oh. And how did, how did that go? Well, it was really interesting because... Um, they covered it with the Indianapolis Star newspaper here. So our, new, our picture was on the front page of the newspaper. That's great. Yeah, but it was like it's the same dynamic. You just, you don't know what it's going to be like to connect with that person. Yes, you're connected by blood. Mm. But as far as a relationship, none. We were interviewed by the reporter and everything. And then we went out for dinner. Bob took us out for dinner to a nice place. And yeah, we really did get along very well. Um, I found the pressure for me was to put pressure on myself to love somebody I didn't know, to act like I loved her when I really didn't at first. Mm-hmm. And I learned that that's okay. You know, that because a relationship takes time to develop and love takes time to develop. And so I, I, I learned that about midway of the week that she was here. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it was very positive. I'm sure I will see her again. Bob and I are, are planning a trip to go out west not too long from now. Now, did any of the six siblings grow up together? Or did a lot of them? 
Some of them did. Okay. It's really confusing. I'm sure. I mean, Are there multiple moms? and? Yeah, six moms. Yeah. It's, okay. It's very confusing. They do have red hair in the family, though. Okay. Which is so interesting. Candy has red hair. My birth father had red hair. Our daughter, Bob's mother has red hair. And our daughter has red hair, our oldest daughter. And Bob's your husband. Bob's your husband. Okay. Right. So we never knew where Lisa got her red hair until I found my birth father. Oh, that's which is kind of fun. Yeah, that's so interesting. um, Did any of them know about you? Did your birth father know about you? Well, he was gone. No, he didn't know me. Okay, he didn't know that you were. He didn't know you were born even. No. Okay. So then, none of those siblings knew about you either. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So tell me, how many of those six siblings have you reached out to and connected with? Well, I've reached out to three of them. I have another sister who lives uh, um, in California, and I'll probably stop and have lunch with her on the way up to Portland after we visit other people. Yeah, her name name is Nina, and she's a lovely person. You know, all the the siblings that I've found are very accomplished people. So even though we had a father that was so broken and hurting, we all, you know, kind of made our lives okay. But we do have that in common as well, but with different mothers. (laughs) So interesting. And um, so you've met in person one of the brothers and one of the sisters? Okay. I haven't met the brother yet. Oh, you haven't? Okay. You met you met your brother on your mom's side who has since passed away. Okay. Right. There are a lot of people. There are a lot of people. I know. <laughs> I'm from an only kid to having all these siblings. Yeah. It's really, really exciting. Yes, that must be amazing. And yeah. so you've met one of those sisters on your dad's side. One of them. Okay. And you're, you're going to probably meet another one. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. So what about the rest of them? Are you like, do you feel eager? Do you feel cautious? How do you, how do you feel? Um, I haven't had a real drive to meet any of them, to tell you the truth. I mean, I, I wanted to find out for my family for, and so on. I, one of them, um, when he saw one of my, oh, I made a little DVD of it on YouTube said, I found my brother, you know, I'm so happy. And he thought that was terribly weird. (laughs) (laughs) So I I haven't reached out to him. He reached out to me last weekend and said, hi, on, you know, texting, Mm -hmm. on a group text from the family and said, hi, sis. So we may connect. Yeah. Okay. The other one is very broken. Okay. Yep. So you have a group text. With your siblings on your dad's side. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty great. <laughs> but you haven't met I them know. all yet. No, I've only met one of them. Wow. They're nice enough to include me. But, you know, at the same time, I just kind of, you know, I can listen to all the stuff about the family, but it's like, you know, I, I've got my own family, you know, and I don't know if I have time for another family. Isn't it terrible? No, but it it does double your time when you reunite. Mm. I found that with my the first brother I found because he called me every afternoon and we talked for two hours. Wow! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
He was a sweetheart. Mm. Well, that's really neat. That's a really amazing story. Now, what are the ages of your siblings? I mean, what's the range? Okay. Well, I'm the oldest, and I'm 74. Okay. Then there's Jeff. He just turned 70. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see. Nina, I think, is about maybe 62, 63. And then the two brothers down from that, I don't have any idea. Just haven't gotten any information on that yet. Okay, but they're younger. They're, they're younger. Yeah. Than, okay. Yeah. Really interesting. Wow. Yeah. If you knew at the beginning everything you know now, yeah. would you have searched? Yes. Okay, tell me why. Yes, a thousand times, yes. Because I think when we are willing to search for lost relatives, that we grow no matter what the outcome. I believe that I grew more because my birth mother rejected me than I would have had she welcomed me with open arms. Now, out of that experience came my writing. It came a nonprofit um, that I have for writing for adoptees, uh, Jewel Among Jewels Adoption Network. You know, I wouldn't be who I am today without that, that rejection. With the other ones, you know, I, the ones that have happened in the last year, I feel like I've really gotten my footing. Know the, the dynamics pretty well of reunion. Although, you know, in the beginning with Candy, I was just, I said to my husband, Bob, I said, oh, I just don't, you know, it just doesn't feel like we belong to, I mean, you go through all that old, you know, the adoptee issue stuff, no matter how old you are, I think, those triggers are still there. You know, we can, we work through the major things, but then different things will trigger us, different present day things will trigger us. Can you, can you give me an, ex- an example of something that comes to mind? I think self-image would be a good one, even with candy. Uh, when she came off the plane, she looked like a million bucks. She had on a houndstooth uh, blazer, wool blazer, and long strawberry blonde hair. Just she's She works for the... Um, kidney association or whatever you call it she's the head of it I mean she's a businesswoman and you know I when I first looked at her I thought my gosh she's so strong and so pretty and you know and so I started going down that bunny path in the beginning Mm -hmm. so comparing myself instead of remembering who I am in Christ Mm -hmm. you know is precious. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be one example. You want another one? <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, I can imagine that it would be hard. I mean, children who grow up together, siblings compare themselves to each other already. So add all this mystery and all of you having different environments. And I can see how it would be a very tentative feeling to meet all these people and you know, feel that, you know, that you were comparing yourself to them. So I know a lot of our listeners are adoptive moms, and they're listening to your story, probably hanging on your every word, being so interested in your experience. So, you know, all of us as adoptive moms, our children, some will ask a lot of questions about birth families, some won't. 
one of my sons has a picture of his first mom in a frame right next to his bed. Actually, both my boys, both my boys do. So let's talk about um, just how children, what, what do you think children are wanting to know at, at different ages? young, when they're teens. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I think it's important to remember that we adoptees think about our birth mothers a real lot. Uh, some adoptees say it's every day. For sure, it's on our birthday. We will not bring up the topic. We will wait for you as our adoptive moms to bring up the topic because for one reason, we're afraid we're going to hurt you. And so adoptive moms can signal the okayness of talking about the birth mother by saying, I wonder where you got that wonderful talent for playing the piano. Could that be from your birth father? So you signal it by just, you know, making the first family part of your conversation, not something that you're going to bring up in fear at some point in time, but it's part of the fabric of your your family. You talk about them freely and openly. So I think that's a real mm -hmm. gift that, that moms can give to their kids. Now, you know, moms have to have had their their stuff taken care of too to be able to do that because it can be very threatening, you know, to think you're competing with another mom or whatever. Um, and you know, the, the a quivering lip or the, you know, the nervousness, the kids are going to pick up. So moms, you know, be sure and do your own work uh, so that you can approach your, your kids like that. When you say do your own work, do you mean process your own losses and your grief, especially if you've come to adoption through infertility or things like that? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Process your grief. You know, get a, a, an adoption competent therapist to help you do that so that mm -hmm. they know really what to expect. I am a firm believer. I do a talk on, um, on a, using a grief box where you can make a grief box that talks about all the things you're sad about and then how to grieve that. Um, that is on YouTube. If you want to look me up on YouTube, you could find out how to do that. That's a, a very um, hands-on way to do it because it's kind of, you know, when you say grieve your loss, well, how do you do that? You know, and for me, the grief box has really worked and it has for a lot of other people as well. Great. We will put a link to that in our show notes too. So people, some people will be listening to this while they're driving or, and they won't want to forget. So don't worry if you're listening, you will not need to remember. We will put it in the show notes. So, all right. And how do you think moms should respond when they get the, well, you're not my mom anyhow. Do you have any advice about that? How mom should respond to that? Uh -huh. When their child says that to them. Like you're not my real mom or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, I would say, you know what? You have two real moms. One who gave you birth and one who is giving you love and a roof over your head. Right? I like it. <laughs> I like it. That's good. Because the truth is both moms are real. That, that's right. Very real. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good. And how do you think, do you have thoughts about 
open adoption compared to when you were born and everything was closed and sealed? Oh, yeah. I mean, that, there were so many secrets and hard things with the closed adoption system. I don't believe in it at all. Uh, unless there's some special case, I don't know what it would be, but um, I, I do believe in open adoption. I'm an adoptive grandmother um, as well of a 16-year-old uh, granddaughter, and she is in an open adoption. You know, even open adoptions vary. I mean, sometimes there's an ongoing relationship with the birth family. Sometimes there isn't. Sometimes it's meeting on birthdays or something like that. Um, I think it's important to remember that adoptees also get very hurt in open adoptions. You know, just to, I would say to adoptive moms to just, you know, really draw some good boundaries there because, um, I mean, maybe the mom will invite the child out for a movie and then not show up and things like that um, or promise to write a birthday card or whatever and not follow through and that just hurts so bad that triggers our original abandonment issues I would find a way moms to help your child work through those that you might even want to you know if you do a grief box uh, with your child you might even want to make you know a, a certain category about that you know when you're disappointed about being rejected, because they will be rejected. So, um, and I don't think that's talked about much, um, but it happens. It happens a lot. Well, and the rejection too, I imagine sometimes it's not at all intentional. Probably not. On the yeah. part, you know? Like, well, you know, you know that I'm a birth first mom, yeah. and that I was reunited with my son, and when I got pregnant with my youngest daughter by birth, her due date was his birthday. Oh, my goodness. I thought it was wonderful. Well, actually, no. I was actually pretty freaked out. But from his perspective, I was thinking he would think it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And years later, he told me, I just felt like I was being replaced. Oh, yeah. I, oh, that's enough I, to break I, my I, heart, right? Right. Yeah. I thought he'd feel it was a bond with this baby in the family, but it didn't feel that way to him, you know? So I think it may have felt like a rejection that I never in a million years would have intended and right. didn't feel that way at all. But, you know, for adoptees, um, it's embedded in our DNA and our psyche that we have been rejected. No matter, no matter how wonderful the adoption ceremony, no matter how loving the birth mother um, and the birth father, whoever is there, we interpret that, that separation from our first mothers as rejection. And that's the way we look at life. And, and it's a constant changing that perspective where we have to realize, I mean, you could turn your back on me and I'd feel rejected. Just things like that, a letter that isn't returned, a text that isn't returned. Maybe your child didn't make uh, the play that they wanted to be in. We see that as rejection. It's such a battle for us not to see life through a lens of rejection. So just keep that in mind because that's how we see life. We've We've got to learn we can make choices 
We don't have to see through a lens of rejection. We can make a choice and be different, but that takes a lot of work. So naturally we're there. We're with the rejection part. So I can understand your son as well as you. Yeah. Yes. Once he could explain it to me, I understood, but I didn't, it really was not what I anticipated. But, you know, it reminds me of what um, our friend Dr. Purvis said that, Our children have a shame core. They have this core of shame that I'm I'm not enough. I'm I wasn't worth keeping. You know all these things. So I I do hear what you're saying. And as a birth mom, that is so heartbreaking. But I understand that it's it is true. You know that deep deep down, I know my son felt you know, that maybe I didn't love him enough. Mm-hmm. Of course, he, there were a whole lot of lies in our story, too. He was told all kinds. Even his oh. parents were lied. Oh. So, you know, and that oh. was, it was a different era of yeah. adoption, too. Open adoption was just coming, uh-huh. and it wasn't really happening that much yet. So well, it's so interesting. I love what you said about shame. And, you know, shame is really deep for adoptees, as you said. We, we are always saying, why did she give me up? Why did, was there something wrong with me? Was I too big? Was I too little? Did I cry too much? Too much? Was I ugly? You know, why did she place me for adoption? And so that is the shame and the, the resulting belief, and adoptees won't tell you this, but I can tell you every adoptee I have met confesses to this. We wonder if our life is a mistake. And so... Wow. That's where it's very important. I would encourage the moms to come and visit my website because I've got a chart for how you can tell your child where his life began. It began in the heart of God the Father. It didn't Mm -hmm. begin on conception day. It didn't begin on your birthday. It didn't begin on adoption day. It began in eternity past in the heart of God your Father. You are his idea. And, Mm -hmm. And that is just, but that's always there. So I want, I want moms to be aware of that. They can, you know, counter the shame with, you know, ideas of you are God's idea. That's really beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I think yeah. you know, the moms listening to this, they're listening because they want to be good moms, you know. Oh, no. And so when we can hear the, your voice and hear, you know, take in what you're telling us about the heart of the adoptee. It's really a huge blessing. So thank you so much. Yes, of course. Thank you again, Sherry. I really appreciate it. Lisa, thanks so much for tracking down Sherry to be on the podcast. Just years and years of so much wisdom and experiences to share with the adoption community. Um, Just one caveat, I would say, and she did mention this early in her interview, that every adoptee's experience is different. So I would say that she used a couple every statements uh, that every adoptee thinks this or feels this. And I would say that that's true. I think if you are active in a lot of the Facebook groups and, and in a lot of the people that she's been able to help and serve through her understanding of her own adoption story. Um, but just as an adoptee myself, I would say that that's not true of necessarily everyone. I think there's a population of adoptees who aren't in the conversation because they're kind of just off living their lives. And those are the, you know, people in my family, my best friends, also an adoptee and, 
And I would say not every adoptee is thinking about their birth mom every day or even every birthday. I had never really thought about my birth mom with any significance until my husband had actually brought it up when I was, you know, a late teen. So uh, I would say all that to say, just follow your kids' leads, be a good listener um, and, and don't let the loudest voices uh, be the only voices. Um, It's a lot harder to find the happy adoptee voice out there right now, but just know that it's out there. So follow your kids' lead. Those are good words. Good words. Okay. You can find Sherry in lots of different ways. First of all, find her books on Amazon. We will have links in the show notes for a few of them, including her most popular, which we mentioned at the beginning, the 20 things adopted kids wish their parents knew. And then her new one, Little Branch Gets Adopted. You can find her on Facebook at Sherry Eldridge Adoption. You can find her on Twitter at Sherry Eldridge. And on her website, SherryEldridgeAdoption.blog. Yeah, so we'll have links to all of those things in the show notes if that's an easier place for you to find all the resources. She also has a fantastic download to offer you. It's called Preparing Your Child's Reunion with Birth Family. And so I know a lot of you will find that super valuable. So you can also download that at the show notes and you'll be able to find those at theadoptionconnection.com slash 57. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work, and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.